According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, as we're looking at... Oh, you know what? I don't have my notes up here. That's all right. (laughs) Let me just pull up the slide. Verses 20 through 24. That's where we are. The faith rest life focused on the Word of God as a persuasive life of communicated blessings. It is a persuasive life of communicated blessings. And really what we see here in verse 20, he who gives attention to the Word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. That's a definition of the, of the faith rest life. Uh, trusting in the Lord not only for salvation in phase one to get saved, but then continuing to trust in the Lord for your experiential sanctification in phase two, that we constantly walk by faith and not by sight. Each day is a day for trusting the Lord. And so we have the uh, the Christian walk here. It says, the wise in heart will be called understanding and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. And the persuasiveness that's mentioned in verse 21 comes back again in verse 23. Uh, The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. And so we become very persuasive ourselves. Uh, And before our words are ever persuasive, our lives are persuasive. And that's the key, is the fact that we are called wise and called understanding. That there is a reputation or a sense that uh, that others around us observe when they look at you and they say, that's a believer in the Word of God. And that gives you then that calling or that attribution. You are called understanding. And so this is what we're looking at here. All right, before we get started though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father for His faithfulness to guide our time in His Word today. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in the privilege and blessing that it is to assemble together. Father, we're, we recognize that uh, darkness is upon our land and there seems to be fewer and fewer lampstands committed, uh, committed to verse-by-verse expository teaching. And so uh, in the remnant of the places where uh, teaching like this still occurs, we uh, give you the praise and glory. Thank you for your faithfulness to keep these doors open, the lights are on, the bills are paid. Father, you uh, you remain faithful, and we give you the praise and glory for that. Guide and direct us steady today, and, uh, and for the events that follow, that's in your hands as well, Father, uh, to make your will known. We thank you, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, dealing with this here, recognizing as far as the structure goes, it's unusual that it's five verses long. Uh, it's one of the larger units or longer poetic units in, in uh, Proverbs. But really we have an introductory verse in verse 20 which serves as a heading for what follows and then 21, 22, 23, 24 are established in, uh, in the poetic structures. I also highlighted for you already the persuasiveness that's in 21 and 23. There'll be similar parallelism between verse 22 and 24 and uh, as we see those there. Uh, Verse 22, understanding is a fountain of life to the one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. 
And then verse 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And so this is what we have in a five-verse unit, much of which speaks to communication, speaks to how do we communicate, how do we relate truth to others, and uh, and the blessing there. All right, so a week ago we started with Sakal, and we were dealing with giving attention to the Word of God. And it really, I think, forms the basis, if you're not giving attention to the Word of God, are you really trusting in the Lord? And with the A part and the B part of verse 20, they're, in my mind, they're, un- they're inseparable. That, uh, giving attention to the Word of God is, is the essence of what it means to be a disciple. Remember, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Most born again people are not disciples because they're not living in the Word of God. They're happy to have eternal life. They don't want to go to hell when they die. But presently, they're not abiding in the Word of God. They're not living there, dwelling there, remaining there. That makes all the difference in the world. They're certainly not giving attention. And this is a verb of insight and success. This is a verb of diligence. This is a verb of endeavor or effort. It's not easy. And that's why uh, I think it's comparable to the imperative in the New Testament where we are diligent to present ourselves approved to God as a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you're expected to be diligent, well then you don't handle that accidentally or lackadaisically. You're not just wandering into that by accident. You're consciously, deliberately taking the time to saturate your soul with the word of God. And we see this here as well. And so the verb sakal. Uh, the verb sekel, uh, the noun maskil, these are the expressions that we're looking at here related to this context. The idea of uh, attention, the idea that you're giving focused attention to something because the, the closer you look, what are you observing? You're actually gleaning the details, you're actually observing the finer points, you're, you're receiving an insight into uh, into the doctrine from the Word of God that a casual glance isn't going to give you. That uh, somebody that just recreationally shows up in uh, the Word of God once or twice a month is not going to be gleaning these the, the deep insights into the Word of God as opposed to somebody that's saturating their soul with it uh, morning, noon, and night. It makes all the difference in the world. And so the verb to have insight, to have success, to succeed, we looked through all these verses a week ago, the uh, the noun sekel that references insight and success. Obviously, um, the difference between success and failure oftentimes comes down to whether you notice what needs to be noticed or not. <laughs> and the, and more often than not, failure would have been averted had you simply observed what you should have observed ahead of time. And failing to observe it, failing to have the insight, uh, led to the fact that you didn't have success in whatever that endeavor happened to be. All right. And as we ran out of time, one of the things we commented upon is the fact that there is a certain kind of psalm in the book of Psalms that's called a maskeel. That's called a maskeel. And the first one of which is Psalm 32. If we just want to turn there for the moment. Psalm 32. It's a fairly short psalm. I think most of these are. Um, it's 11 verses. And you'll notice in the heading... And, and as you're reading, and, and I don't know what particular Bible text you have in front of you or what edition you have in front of you. I'm reading from a New American Standard. And as it says, uh, Psalm 32, blessed, uh, blessedness of forgiveness and trust in God. Now that 
is not from the Hebrew manuscripts. That's not in any ancient text. That's not in the Hebrew manuscripts. That's a publishing blurb, what we call a pericope heading. And that was put in there by the Lockman Foundation, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible. And, and yours may say something different. If you're reading from a New King James or a King James or NIV or whatever you're reading from, each Bible publisher will add their own pericope headings, their own publishing blurbs uh, at the top of a paragraph or a psalm and so forth. Now, when you get to this next part where it says a psalm of David, a masquil, all right, that does appear in the Hebrew manuscripts. That does appear in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so much so, in fact, that it gets versified in a way that our English Bible does not get versified. More common than not, uh, it, where you see a psalm of David, a maskil, that's going to be verse 1 of whatever psalm you're looking at. In this case, Psalm 32, 1. And then what we have for our verse 1, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, that's actually going to be verse 2 in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew manuscripts. And so those are some of the details that you pay attention to when you, when you go into these things. Point being, though, is that this noun, this maskil, this skillful thing, this thing of skillfulness, or this thing of success, this thing of wisdom, um, it, even if we're not 100% sure of what it means, we do know that it's important. We do know like the salahs, the various salahs that, that punctuate the different psalms. We're still to this day puzzled by, the rabbis are puzzled by salah. And there are tons of arguments and debates about what salah indicates. Uh, same thing with maskil. Tons of arguments and debates about what maskil indicates. I think it uh, highlights these particular psalms in terms of the, uh, I, I like contemplative song. I, I like the idea that it's a thinking song. I like the idea that you can meditate upon this or a didactive song. So every time you go through it, you just cycle it again and again, and you're learning something more every time. But uh, this is what we're looking at. So there's actually 13 of them in the Old Testament that, uh, that have this in the heading. The only time maskil occurs outside of the heading is in Psalm 47 and verse 7. Psalm 47 and verse 7. And what you're going to notice is uh, Psalm 47 does not have it in the heading. The psalm itself is not a maskil. The psalm itself is a psalm of the sons of Korah. That's the heading there. And uh, down to verse 7, I guess context pick up in verse 5. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with a sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a maskil. Sing praises with a maskil. And I love this because this to me addresses, I think, a lot of the issues with modern praise choruses and modern um, music uh, in, in what has degenerated in, in Christendom. But when we have the repetition of sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, I mean you got it four times in verse 6 and then sing praises a fifth time in verse 7, but then it tells you how to sing praises with a maskil, with a skillful song, with a, um, I do like skillful psalm or contemplative psalm. In other words, put some thought into your praise Put some thought, the actual uh, thought of insight into your praise. You want to sing a song with insight 
It's not just a mindless praise. And that's the, the biggest thing to me. And it's not the melody, and it's not the harmony, it's not the tune, it's not the music, it's not the technology, okay? Doesn't bother me at all. The big deal is not the fact that it's words on a wall instead of a book in my hand, okay? I can relax about that. <laughs> I can relax about that. I, I, I enjoy holding a, a hymnal. I enjoy holding it. I enjoy reading the music. And there's a lot in a hymnal that doesn't show up on the wall. But that off-the-wall singing, as I call it, when, when a whole church is just singing off the wall, the unfortunate thing is, is the content. The content that is so watered down, it's so diminished, it's so vacuous. It's empty. And if I'm going to recite a, a mantra of thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy 20 times in a, in a thing, it just bugs me to tears. And I want to stop and say, wait a minute, okay? Yeah, thou art worthy, all right? Thou art worthy of better lyrics. You're worthy of content. You're worthy of skill. You're worthy of, of, um, of, of an actually a mindful expression of, of why he's worthy with a skillful song with a maskeel related to that. All right, now I even thought about creating a little mini-series and, and putting these 13 maskeels together and actually presenting a doctor. I'm not going to do it, not a part of the Proverbs class anyway, but who knows if, uh, if uh, another class may come at a future point of time or maybe you will want to put a study together for your own family devotions or your own workplace Bible class or whatever you're doing. Take Psalm 32, 42, 44, 45. Take this whole list of maskeels and realize any one of them becomes a devotional by itself. And then you've got a kind of a, a syllabus for the next 13 classes you're going to put together on, uh, on each one of these maskeels. Let me also just take some time real quickly. There is a utility in your Bible software in the Logos Bible software, there is a utility called a Psalms Explorer. And there's different things you can do with the Psalms Explorer. And uh, depending on how, how you had it set up the last time you opened it, it will be like that the next time you open it as well. So um, different ways across the top right here that you can, that you can sort the Psalms. And so it's called the Psalm Explorer. And it does some marvelous things for you. Um, it, related to the Hebrew, related to the poetry, related to the structure, things of that nature. And so it, just in a, in a basic load of the utility, you've got 150 psalms and they're listed here top to bottom from number 1 to 150. If you want to sort them in a different way, for example, by genre, and this is where different Hebrew scholars have done this to sort these through, that there are certain psalms that have been identified as praise psalms. All right, and so these are the ones that are over here listed as your praise psalms, and that's how they're classified, and that's how they're sorted. Or they're laments. You realize how many psalms are laments? The bulk of psalms are laments, whereby human beings are not having a good time, but they're still trusting in the Lord, and they're still. It's like a category of praise song because even in the lament, they're going to go past the complaint, and they're going to praise and they're going to trust in God for His goodness through the circumstances. Some of these are royal psalms, some of these are wisdom psalms, thanksgiving psalms, some they just call hymns, and psalms of trust. And so they, these are the large genres of, uh, of psalms. You can also sort them by structure. 
In other words, are they chiasms? Okay, Randy loves chiasms. A lot of believers love chiasms, chiastic structure. Are they organized by strophe? Are they organized by, are they acrostics, for example? In other words, alphabetical psalms that you work your way through the Hebrew alphabet and you, uh, you have those things sorted there. Uh, you can classify them by author. You know, how many of these psalms are David's? How many are Asaph's? How many are Ethan the Ezraites? And so forth. Different ways that you're classifying these as you're studying them. Also, a lot of people don't realize the book of Psalms is, is actually five books of Psalms. Five collections, five books as they're structured. And so uh, book one is basically one through 41 and, and book two takes you down through I think 70 something. And uh, book three, book four, book five. So these are the different things. It gets better from here. I'm, gonna, I'm showing this to you to encourage you to explore this yourself. Um, in addition to the the broad categories in the top right where, whereby you can visually sort them and see them, you also have filters whereby you can start narrowing them down. And that's part of what we're doing here today. And so um, here we go. This is the one that where I can see very quickly. There's 41 that are book one. There's 31 in book two. Uh, book three and four, the smallest. There's only 17 psalms in each. Book three and, book, and then book five has 44. Um, but let me come down here because there's themes, there's structure, there's also tags. And this is where we're going to be looking for the masculine wisdom songs. There we go. So when you apply that as a filter, when you select that in the, in the filter panel on the left, you now have... Uh, sorted, you filtered through all 150, and now you're only looking at the masquilles. So here's your masquilles here. Here's the different masquilles. And if you want to further filter it, you can, because now as you're looking at your masquilles, now when you want to look at it by genre, you see what it just did there? It did the same sort we were looking at earlier, but we're not sorting all 150 of the Psalms, we're only sorting the masquilles, Right? Okay, and um, likewise, if we want to limit it only to David as the author, we can do that because there's six of them that are David's. And so at each one that we're applying the filter, we're further refining the scope of, of what it is that we're looking at. And we realize, okay, these are the Davidic masquilles, and these are the Davidic masquilles by genre. Maybe I don't want to have them by genre. I want to leave them in order. I want to structure them by uh, their structure uh, because one of them's a chiasm and, and five of them are organized by strophe or uh, finding what books they're in. Book one, book two, book five, for example. So, um, and anytime you want to back out of this, in fact, if you want, go ahead and remove the necessity of the Davidic authorship and now you're back to the, the overall uh, masquilles there that you're that you're dealing with. All right. If you have any more questions on that, just let me know, and, and I'll sit down with you at your app or your software and, and show you how more of these things come together. All right. So Psalm 32, Thanksgiving and for forgiveness of sins. If you think of this as a masquille, uh let's stop to ask ourselves how contemplative this becomes. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
And we're going to come back to this a little bit later in this hour because we're talking about happiness. And the next topic we got coming up is happiness. And so we're actually going to kind of kill two birds with one stone here by covering this here in Psalm 32. How, ha- how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven? How happy is he whose sin is covered? And so that's, that's what leads off this maskeel, this contemplative, didactic, insightful psalm. And now you ask yourself, is this a doctrine that I can meditate on day and night? Is this a concept that I can think through, that I can gain insight in? The more I think about it, the more I dwell on it. Of course it is. We never want to lose sight of how saved we are (laughs) and what a blessing it is to be saved and to have the sin issue dealt with. How happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. You know, how long do you want to stay in carnality? How long do you want to delay your confession? How miserable do you want to get? How do you want to compound the discipline, the discipline until you finally confess and get right with the Lord? For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Salah. And so just take the time there and uh, and dwell on this, meditate on this, gain the insight that this maskeel will provide. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salah. Time again for another Salah, which was probably a guitar solo is my guess. It was a, a musical interlude. It gave the opportunity to reflect upon the, the doctrine that was just communicated. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Again, this is a maskeel. This is a song, uh, a psalm that you're going to want to meditate on again and again and again. It's going to be an insightful psalm. It's going to be a psalm that you're going to um, contemplate and it's going to produce skill in your Christian walk. As verse eight, uh, 7 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. Boy, there's a concept. Okay? Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. That's, that goes right with our proverb today related to trusting in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. All right, so there's the first out of the 13 or 14 maskeels as different people categorize them, all right? So the, uh, the use of it there. I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about happiness because that's what the second part of verse 20 is dealing with. Proverbs 16, 20 and verse B. So he who gives attention to the word will find good. If you're diligent in the word of God, if you're skillful with the word of God, if you're a a diligent, eager student, that's what you're going to find. You're never going to be harmed the more that you humble yourself under doctrine. The, the, uh, The faithfulness of God is what it is. All right. But now the emotional side of things, the happiness that comes through 
walking with the Lord. Happy is he who trusts in the Lord. The faith rest life in the Word of God is a life of happiness. Now I realize that the term is blessed in most English translations and it's blessed in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. It's blessed in a lot of Psalms. Uh, blessed was the a very common usage in Elizabethan English and it's unfortunate that we today tend to conflate um, happiness blessings with uh, divine blessings. And we want to, I think it's useful to separate them. I think it's useful to not confuse how God blesses us with how we are happy about it. <laughs> okay? Because they're entirely different concepts. The idea of uh, Asherah, the idea of Asher, is not uh, Baraka. Okay? Barak is to bless. Barakah is a blessing. And so if God blesses you, that's the verb Barak. And the, the blessing he gives you is baraka. That's the blessing that he gives. And so the idea of a blessing is something that is coming from God. Uh, it's is a marvelous study, and we, we love those studies. We don't want to confuse them, though, with happiness studies. Asherah means happy. Okay, And I want to stop using the idea of blessed if it's a happiness expression like asherah or makarios. And, uh, and, and limit the blessings to Barak or to Eulageo, Eulagia, some of the, the Greek expressions for blessing that we have in the New Testament. So when you're going to study happiness, you're dealing with the word study of Asher. And, and this is the reason why um, his mother gave him the name Asher in Genesis 30 in verse 13 is because um, of her happiness. Remember when the wives were having the baby competitions? And uh, when, when Rachel was all bent out of shape because Leah kept having those babies and Rachel wasn't having any babies and so she thought she could manipulate things by giving a handmaiden and, uh, and that she would vicariously become a mother through the handmaiden. And uh, anyway, the whole thing was a wreck. Polygamy is a wreck anyway, but this is what uh, we deal with here in Genesis chapter 30. So... Um, and, and interestingly enough, you work your way through this chapter and uh, Leah's going to have the first four kids. They're going to come just boom, 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 boom. And uh, you end up with, uh, with Reuben and, and Simeon and Levi and Judah. And then comes Rachel and this mechanism here with a maid. And so she gets a couple of kids this way. And then sadly in verse 9, Leah decides to fight fire with fire and use Rachel's method. To say, okay, hey, I got a maid too. I can do that. So she gives Zilpah her maid. And so Zilpah bears Jacob a son. And um, Zilpah doesn't even get, get to assign the name. Leah gives the name. Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad. And you might call Gad, it means fortune or lucky or something like that. And then uh, Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I. For women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Okay? Asher means happy. If you ever forget it, just look it up in Genesis 30, 13, and there it is. And uh, I suspect, of course, that she was not happy, that she uh, was resorting to the world's methods, trying to compete with Rachel and, and uh, the aspects there. But anytime you have Asherah, 
you have this happy are, happy are, blessed are. And, and I want to stop using the blesseds and, and continuously use the happies. And when we follow this through the Psalms, look at how many of these are in the Psalms. In Proverbs, uh, of course today in Proverbs 16.20, we had it back in Proverbs 8 very significantly. And, uh, and then when it comes across into the New Testament, of course, the Greek, it's not Hebrew anymore, it's Greek. And the Greek word that's equal to, uh, to Asherah is makarios. Makarios is an adjective that speaks of happiness. All right, and this is what you have in all the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. Happy are the peacemakers, happy are the poor in spirit. All of the happiness statements there that we've memorized since our youth as blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, because that's what the King James did with, uh, with these expressions. All right, so I've got 20 minutes to teach you how to be happy. Is that enough? I'm sorry if I got to cut, cut off early here this morning, but it is what it is. You would think if you're teaching how to be happy that the place would be packed out because there's a whole world that's just searching for how to be happy. There's billions of people in this world desperate uh, that have no clue how to be happy and they think they're going to find it with all kinds of things. And yet the answer's right here. Psalm 1. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That introduces the Psalms, that introduces the Bible, that introduces the faith rest walk. I mean, that's a, that's a summary statement for how you and I should be living in uh, the, the life of happiness he's designed us for. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. Parallel exactly with what we're seeing in Proverbs 16 and verse 20. So if you find you're a pretty gloomy person these days, uh, I'm curious as to uh, what your meditations have been like in the Word of God. Because, uh, because the Word of God is just powerful. It's awesome. And it's designed for your encouragement. I'm kind of preaching to myself this morning more than anybody. All right, Pro- uh, Psalm 2 and verse 12. Psalm 2 is prophetic and it's curious because it's actually looking ahead to the future millennium and beyond. In Psalm 2, the nations are in an uproar, the peoples are devising a vain thing. Okay, so what else is new? The world's in chaos. And the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together. The politicians are, are angry. Why? Because Jesus Christ is on the throne and they don't like it. Against the Lord and against His anointed saying. So they're in rebellion against God the Father and Jesus Christ on the Davidic throne. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Even with perfect environment and perfect government, the Gentile kings are not happy. And they want, they want to change. But he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He says in verse 6, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He's there because I put him there. He's my beloved son. And all the Gentiles are uh, angry against the will of God. So in verse 10 comes the warning. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. It's not just a political rebellion. It's idolatry. You are are in uh, rebellion against the Creator God. Do homage to the Son that He not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. 
How happy are all who take refuge in Him. How happy are all who take refuge in Him. And that's the conclusion. And it really is the the summary message for the entire millennial kingdom, which is going to end with a Gog-Magog rebellion and the destruction of the unbelievers and the destruction of the heavens and the earth. The uh, introduction of new heavens and new earth and the fullness of time that follows. And it centers on this, uh, how happy are all who take refuge in Him. Psalm 32, we read a little bit ago, as uh, I told you we were killing two birds with one stone. We uh, tackled those verses already. Psalm 33, more happiness lessons. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. Now primarily, of course, the only application for this is Israel, but then the secondary applications that can be drawn would be for any Gentile nation whereby believers form a a remnant, believers form a salt and light uh, benefit, blessings by association. See, the United States of America is not a theocracy, and uh, we we can't claim this with a direct application as far as uh, uh, that goes. Israel is the only theocracy that God ever established in the history of mankind. However, on a secondary, a secondary basis, if the preponderance of our population are born again and living in the Word of God, that's a happy nation. <laughs> okay, That's a happy nation. And even the unbelievers are going to benefit by having so many doctrinal believers around, having so many born-again believers squared away by the Word of God. And uh, there's aspects there. A book by Rodney Stark addresses that, how uh, uh, about the blessings of Christianity upon America, even the unbelievers benefit by having uh, Christians in the community. And uh, it's a very excellent book. All right. So that's uh, Psalm 33, 12. Psalm 34, 8. This is the psalm where he has to act like a madman and pretend he's insane so that Abimelech doesn't have him killed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man who takes refuge in Him. Okay? Because you know, whatever else happens, God's in charge. And uh, He's not going to betray me. He's not going to let me down. Whatever else happens, God's in charge. There's a happiness to that. Psalm 40 and verse 4. How happy is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. And I think that also gives us a warning related to happiness is that uh, even if we do start with with the right start, even if we are walking by faith and and things are going well, there will be a a snare, there will be a temptation, the thought will come to us that uh, that we, we could turn aside, that there's an alternative that went, well, you know, it's been okay, but what about this? And we start to explore other things. How insane is that? God, you know, like Peter told Jesus, where else would we go, Lord? Only you have the words of eternal life. Why would I, why would I, would I want to substitute for the Word of God? And so it's expressed there in Psalm 40. Psalm 119. This psalmist is very much like uh, like Psalm 1 even. In fact, the beginning of Psalm 119 is very similar to Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. 
on his death march to Babylon, this young man is uh, cycling the word of God in his soul. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How happy are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Not just studying the word of God, but living it out, making the applications as we're called to do. Proverbs 8. And this comes in the, uh, in the follow-up to, the, of course, the great Christological development here on the birth of the humanity of Jesus Christ. But then there's the application, which is a gospel call. After showing who the God-man is, after showing who the Son is, the master workman and daily the Father's delight, but then verse 32 comes the gospel call. Now therefore, O sons, plural, listen to me, for happy are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. That's it. There's the temptation. There's the snare. Say, well, I've learned enough. I know enough. I'm all right. And then you get sloppy. And then you get lazy. And then you get complacent. Hopefully, uh, when we're studying contentment tonight related to uh, giving and money and humble means and abundance and all that, we're learning about money, we're learning about contentment, and the secret is contentment. But there's a big snare that's a, a satanic form of contentment, which is uh, not God's contentment, it's actually complacency. And you can grow complacent, not content, but complacent. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's a horrible snare. As uh, you start neglecting the Word of God, you start neglecting your work assignments, start neglecting your spiritual gift, you, you get... Uh, sloppy in in your uh, uh, ministry. That's not contentment, that's complacency. And uh, we want to be clear on that. So heed instruction and be wise, do not neglect it. Verse 34, happy is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. And this too, you might recall when we taught this, there's a general study of the Word of God. I think we have that there in verse 32, listen to me and Blessed are they who keep my ways, heed instruction and be wise. So you're under teaching, you're in Bible class, you're learning the Word of God, you're growing, you're living your walk. But then, happy is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. And this, I think, is is a more of a personal, subjective, experiential approach whereby we are humble before the will of God as He makes His will known. Where we're walking with Him and we see uh, we listen and we see and he opens a door and he's putting it on our heart. He's speaking to us. Wow, this is my new assignment. Wow, this is what he would have for me to do. And, and so there's a voice that we hear, that still small voice when we're walking by faith. And, and the Lord's calling us to uh, a ministry pursuit or to a, a, an effect, an assignment of some sort. All right. And, and if we're in the Word of God and we're humble in this way, we're going to hear that. We're going to hear. We're watching daily at my gates. We're waiting at my doorposts. We are happy is the man who listens to me. And when Jesus says, let's go. This is your assignment. Let's do it. We need to be listening for that. And there's a happiness in knowing that you're in the will of God as He directs your steps. Alright. And I hope that makes sense. That's a uh, there is a, an experiential, subjective response to the leading of the Lord, the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
It is a, it is a, uh, I don't, it's not an audible voice. If you're hearing voices, that's, that's something else. All right. But it, 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 it approaches that. It might as well be an audible voice because when the Lord speaks to you, you know He's speaking to you. You know He is. And you know this is what He has for you. And so you proceed on faith. Okay? And uh, hopefully we're relaxed about that. I know there are um, doctrinal pastors, though, that, that would, would reject everything I'm saying here this morning and say, no, if it's not in the canon, if it's not in the printed text, if it's not in the Word of God, if you can't point to a page, if you can't point to a verse, then you're, uh, you know, you're venturing into charismatic territory. You're venturing into emotionalism and subjectivity, see? And uh, it is subjective. That's absolutely subjective. There's the objective word and there's the subjective application. And, and we're all subjective as we get convicted in, in His will. So those issues there. All right. On into the New Testament then. The Greek equivalent of asherah is makarios. And in Matthew 5, Jesus deals with this. Verses 3 through 11. So Jesus saw the crowds, went up the mountains. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And the reason why we want to keep these consistently as happy and not blessed, we're, we're, we don't want to confuse this with eulogitas. We don't want to confuse this with eulogeo. God does send blessings, and God does bless these people. But this verse isn't telling us that. This verse is telling us that they are subjectively happy. Okay? Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a happiness in having a divine viewpoint related to the eternality of our loved ones. Even while we're mourning, we're still, we still have a happiness at the same time. Happy are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth, or the meek. Happiness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God will always feed you with His righteousness. He will always feed you with His Word. There is never a dissatisfaction. The believer who trusts in Him will never be disappointed. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This, that's the verse that police officers like because they often get called peace officers and they think they have a certain happiness. It's a misapplication, but still I know a lot of cops that claim that as their, as their verse. Happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it switches from the third person to the second person. All of those in 3 through 10 are about those guys, those guys, those guys, those guys. Until you get to verse 11, happy are you. And Jesus is looking right at his disciples here and says, happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and you falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's not a blessing that God is bestowing upon you. That is a happiness that you have as you're oriented to his will, as you're oriented to his purpose and his plan. The eternality of these things. They falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. And that's what you're happy about. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So all of these are happiness statements. Acts 20, 35. You know the verse, but you misquote it a lot. As our Lord said, it is more happy to give than to receive. In everything I showed you that by working hard on this matter you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, it is more happy to give than to receive. It's makarios in that statement. It's not eulagitas. It's a happiness. Romans 14 and verse 22. Faith convictions. Faith convictions. And some believers come down on one side, some believers come down on the other side. Whether it's meat sacrifice to idols or drinking alcohol or dancing or going to movies or other things that some believers find to be sinful and they don't engage in. Other believers find not to be sinful and they have liberty to engage in them. They have no uh, no issues there. Their conscience is fine. And so however it comes down to you in your own conviction, make that your application. And verse 22 says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy, and don't ask me why, all of a sudden the New American Standard Bible found the, the, the letters H-A-P-P-Y and put happy in a verse for Makarios. Why didn't they do that all those other times? Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And the personal happiness of walking before the Lord with a clear conscience. And uh, there's, there's, uh, there's nothing better. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. There's a thing. If you don't have the conviction and then you just try to wing it or you try to fake it or you compromise what you really think because somebody else wants you to think a certain way, there's no happiness with that. That's not your conviction. You're trying to measure up to somebody else's conviction. That's useless. Come to your own convictions before the Lord in your own applications. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So the faith that you have, have as your own conviction. If it's not faith, it's sin. How happy is the one that uh, does not condemn himself in what he approves. Finally, Titus 2 and verse 13. Somebody took Titus out of my Bible. Oh, there it is. Okay. Titus, how does the book just get missing in your book? All right. The grace of God has appeared. This is Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly. We talked about semnos a while back. Righteously, godly, in the present age, looking for the blessed hope. So that's, this is our Christian walk. This is what we do. We're saved. We're living godly. We're living the Word of God. We're waiting for the trumpet. All day, every day, waiting for a trumpet. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. Looking for, I, I skipped over it, I'm sorry. Looking for that happy hope. 
The rapture of the church is called the Makarios Elpis, the happy hope. Okay? And maybe it'll be hard to overcome because we've been quoting it as the blessed hope all this time. Uh, just like it's more blessed to give than to receive. And blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the poor in spirit. We were, we're just kind of captivated by how we've learned it all these years and we've recited it all these years. The rapture of the church, that blessed hope we talk about, is actually the happy hope we talk about. It is a happy hope. It's just the happiness of knowing that today that trumpet can sound and we're out of here. That's a, that's a happy thought. That's a happy hope when it comes right down to it. All right. Well, this ties uh, together what we're looking at here. We'll come back next week and uh, be ready for that, that four-verse tandem of 21 and 23 and 22 and 24. We'll, uh, we'll pick up here next week, Lord willing, and rapture pending. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the blessings you bestow and the happiness you supply. We thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.